as you may have noticed, the Covert Narcissism podcast has a new look. Well, kind of a new sound. And my producer came to me and, and he said, hey, you should charge for a second episode each week. Like a, a bonus episode, a patron program. And I went, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's not in my heart to charge for these episodes. So I told him, I said, look, we just, we got to find a different way. So instead of charging for a second episode, we're going to open up donations. So if you are finding value in this and you can contribute to our cause, please join us. And as you do, I want to reward you. I, I want to thank you for your, your commitment for this monthly donation. I'm working on a book and, and the title of the book is still in the works, but the title I'm liking right now is Grasping Covert Narcissism, subtitled Catching a Ghost. And if you can donate to our cause, I'm going to send you the first chapter of this book. To donate, just go to the top of the link at the show notes. It's nice and easy, and it's greatly appreciated. You all are a part of my journey, so please join me if you can. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. My mind has never worked so hard in my entire life, ever. It hit a level of mental overdrive that I did not know existed. Overthinking, overanalyzing, overfixing, overcompensating, overmonitoring, over, over, and over. Now, this did not happen overnight. It wasn't day one in the relationship. If it had been, I think I'd have definitely, you know, tucked my tail and run. This was gradual. So how did it happen? Early in my marriage, I told him he had toothpaste on, my, on his mouth. He blew up and it shocked me to my core. And it never got resolved. So, lesson learned. I'll never say that to him again. Clearly, it was wrong of me. I will never, ever tell him he's got toothpaste on his mouth ever again. And I never did. I hung some new pictures on the wall while he was at work, and he came home and trapped me in a circular conversation about them. Like, like how dare you do that without me here? And, and then it circled around, and I, I had no idea what was going on. But I certainly did not like it. So in my mind, I'll never do that again. I, I should have just asked him. Then this would have never happened. Putting all of that responsibility on me in tiny little baby steps. I asked our son to help him in the kitchen, and he stormed off in a silent rage and full-blown victim mode. I believed that our son should help in the kitchen, and I wasn't going to change that. So instead, I'll work harder to say it the right way next time. Well, what does that look like? What words work and which ones don't? I asked him if he could pick up our kids from an activity back in yet another circular conversation. So now. I'll work harder to find the right timing to say things. What kind of mood is he in? What nonverbal cues can I find to see if this is the right time or not? On and on this went. Started with weeks, went to months, went to years, went to decades. All the while, I just kept working harder. My list uh, you know, of things I'll never say or never do again was growing. I didn't know it, but I had a checklist in my head of things I would never say again of when was the right time or when was, what was the right way, always watching for those moments while dodging all the unpleasant ones. 
I became excessively hypervigilant, and I did not even know it. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast, and I want to thank you so much for joining me today. So what does hypervigilance look like? It's an overactive mind, hyper aware of everything, an overactive heart interpreting every word, sigh, look, body language. It's a constant state of arousal of your senses, overactive ears listening to every movement in the house. I would lay in bed at night listening for where everyone was and what they were doing. How do his footsteps sound? Heavy? That means he's upset. Normal, meaning all is calm. How did he close the door? Gently, respectful of others in the house, or loudly look at me in his I'm upset mode? How did he set his keys down when he came in from work? Purposefully, with some thought? Aggressively, with no attention at all? Or maybe forgot entirely and still has them in his pocket? How is he breathing? How is he talking? How is he sighing? How is he moving? All of these things mean different things. Closing the door gently and passively means he isn't in his seeking attention mode. He's just simply home. And the evening will at least begin on a calm note. Slamming the door or shutting it aggressively behind him means he's in that, you know, look at me mode. I had a bad day and someone should ask me what's wrong so I can blow up again about what happened at work. He has not even been in the door for two minutes. And I am quickly gathering and assessing the clues. What kind of mood is he in? What sort of attention is he after? What kind of evening will we have? Should I keep the kids out of his way or not? Should I keep my distance or not? Will we be able to talk tonight? Is it safe? This leads to constant overthinking, overanalyzing, overfixing, a constant state of arousal. What are they thinking? How are they feeling? What can I do to fix it? What if I say this or that or do this or that? Our brains are designed to be aware of potential dangers in our surroundings. This is not a bad thing. In fact, it's great every now and then. Hopefully, it's only every now and then. It keeps you safe if a bad guy breaks into your house. He's intending to harm you and your children, but from his footsteps alone, you can tell where he is, how heavy or light he is, how sober he is, how confident he is, if he knows where you are or not. You can tell a lot from the footsteps of an intruder. And if you've ever been in that hyper state of arousal within your own home, you know how much information you can assess from footsteps. Your system is designed to keep you safe. Alertness when a driver is being sporadic keeps you safe. Alertness when the weather turns threatening and you need safety. These responses are healthy and good. However, like I've mentioned before with the fight or flight response, I talk about that a lot in my podcast and in my groups. Our brains are not designed to live in this state of being hyper aware and extra sensitive all the time. It just is not healthy for us and in fact is quite damaging. Hypervigilance is this feeling of always being on guard. You are constantly on the lookout for an attack, always feeling like it can come at any moment without any notice. You are constantly assessing 
your situation and constantly watching for potential threats. You may find it helpful to think about hypervigilance as a guard dog, okay? A guard dog working overtime. Sometimes the guard dog barks at actual intruders, and rightfully so. But if you've ever had a guard dog, you know that guard dogs bark at things that simply do not pose a direct threat, like somebody walking down the sidewalk, or leaves blowing in the yard, or a squirrel running across the yard, or a mailman that's two blocks away. They will bark at things that aren't a direct threat. As you can imagine, when the guard dog in your brain is on high alert at all times, it is noticing all these things that are potential threats to you that maybe are not a direct threat, but they have been. There have been times where he blew up because I asked him, you know, the, the, my son to help in the dishwasher and to help empty the dishwasher. And so that moment became now a threat. So that moment now gets on my list as the guard dog. When you are on this high alert all the time, it drains you mentally, physically, emotionally. In one word, it is exhausting. I don't want to be a guard dog. I didn't want to become who I became. That was not what I wanted. I just wanted to be me, a wife, a mom, a teammate, a companion. That's what I wanted. Now let's talk about some of these symptoms of hypervigilance. It plays out behaviorally. You become fixated on potential threats. Like my husband, he was a threat to me, an emotional threat. He was never physical. He never laid a hand on me. But emotionally, that was a huge threat. I absolutely became fixated on him, his moods. He and his moods consumed my mind and the minds of my boys. It played out in them too. Another behavioral way that this plays out is an increased reactive reflex. A normal, calm sigh from my husband sent my system into that fight or flight response. Even when it was just a normal, sit down in your chair and, ah, oh, a normal sigh. But my sensitivity to it was so extremely high because of the years of living with this and the cycle that came after it. That sigh when he would sit down when it wasn't a normal calm sigh was, look at me, give me attention, I'm in victim mode, and if you don't do it, then you get the silent rage or the silent treatment or the so like it's where that cycle starts. So you become overreactive. You overestimate, another way this plays out, you overestimate the threats and the dangers. With him and with others, this actually then filtered into other relationships, being triggered by the behaviors of others that maybe kind of resembled, you know, a sigh from a friend could send me spiraling when they sure don't mean anything from it. How about an obsessive avoidance of certain situations, mostly interactions with him? I became constantly avoidant of any interaction I could possibly avoid in my own marriage, the place where you're supposed to be safe, the partner who's supposed to be there and have your back and, and you've got emotional safety with them. I was avoiding him by the time, I mean, at this point, we're 15 years into the marriage or more. And my boys were doing it at a quite young age. When the garage door opened, meaning dad's home, they disappeared to their rooms. Even though they had been happily playing in the living room, the garage door meant the game was over. 
How about an overreaction to a brief word of discontent or a tiny miscommunication? Even these tiniest little miscommunications that can end up being resolved, and some of them do. But when this happens with that abuser and you go into the reactive mode, again, it's talking about just being overly reactive. They tell you you're being too sensitive. But what they don't consider is why. Because of how many times you have been burned in the past by them. This also filters, by the way, into other relationships, as your system cannot set the hypervigilance aside easily. Now, this plays out physically, too. Physical symptoms that play out with hypervigilance go together with that fight-or-flight response and can certainly resemble anxiety and panic attacks. Let's talk about these. The physical ways that this hypervigilance plays out. Sweating, a fast heart rate, elevated blood pressure, fast and shallow breathing, difficulty sleeping, excessive fatigue, and we're back to that word, exhaustion. This hypervigilance, this state of hypervigilance, absolutely takes its toll on your body. So many victims of covert narcissistic abuse talk about developing unexplained physical issues. Migraines, thyroid issues, neck pain, back pain, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, even cancers. The years of built-up responses to the fight-or-flight mode, that hypervigilance, and being stuck Unable to do anything about it leaves you vulnerable to so many health issues. Listen to your body. Your body is trying to talk to you. How about emotional symptoms? Emotional symptoms of hypervigilance can be very severe. These include enormous amounts of anxiety, straight up fear, Fear of judgment from, from this abuser in your life, but it plays out into everyone else. You feel like you're constantly being judged. Excessive panic, including panic attacks. Extreme worrying, okay, that goes hand in hand with hypervigilance. Lack of trust, emotional withdrawal, emotional outburst. All of these signs of hypervigilance and that constant fight or flight mode. Let's look at the mental symptoms. Kind of all these relate. So if you haven't seen a, you know, that in what I talk about, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, psychologically, all of them relate to each other. So mentally, you are rationalizing constantly. You are justifying constantly. You're even justifying the bad behavior from your abuser just so you can exist in the same house and keep making peace with them. You even justify your own hypervigilance. Paranoia comes in. Scorekeeping. I was scorekeeping. I'm not a scorekeeper, but I'm paying attention now to how many things they do that they are accusing me of. Okay, my husband's accusing me of these things and he turns around and does them himself. It's impossible to not become a scorekeeper when you're living with a covert narcissist, but I don't want to be a scorekeeper and I have a right to not be. The covert narcissist holds all of these things against me but they do them. Things you normally would not notice or even be upset about, but now you are because they make such a big issue out of them. Another way this plays out that again, I didn't like, and I had to change it in me, was judgment of others. These behaviors that you learn in response to the covert narcissist in your life 
play out into other relationships. I've said this several times today, but they do. And now all of a sudden I'm judging others. Well, see, they do it and they do it and they do it. And they're not really doing it in a judgmental, mean way. Again, it goes back to scorekeeping, but I shouldn't even be noticing. I don't care if they, you know, ask me to repeat something I've said before, or if they don't like it when I repeat something I've said before. It doesn't matter when it's a safe relationship. But when my husband is pointing this out to me all the time and it's, it's causing all of these arguments and circular conversations and gaslighting to take place, then you start noticing. The last one is soothing behaviors. Hypervigilance absolutely wears you out. You become someone you don't even recognize. And it is so easy to turn to soothing behaviors to numb that pain. These include alcohol, drugs, staying in bed more, mindless activities such as TV, movies, gaming, social media, even to the point of just being unable to function, hibernating in your home or in your bed. Listen, you're not alone, okay? This is a normal response to a bad situation. Let's focus on the bad situation and get that fixed. Don't blame yourself and get this fixed. So how? How do we stop the hypervigilant mind? We do mindfulness work. Paying attention to our thoughts. Just start paying attention. Awareness of your thoughts is huge. You start paying attention to them and then you go, huh, where did that one come from? Why do I think that way? And you start challenging them. You start questioning them. And you start letting go of the ones you don't want to hold on to anymore. Journaling. Journaling is huge. I talk about it all the time. Write down. Write down the situations you've been through. But now let's actually go to a different type of journaling as well. What are my thoughts like today? That's a very different journaling than the brain dumping I've talked about in my podcast. How am I feeling today? What am I thinking today? What am I focused on today? How about phrases to repeat and redirect your mind? Stick them on sticky notes all through your house, in your car, whatever. If, if you're still living with your covert narcissist, that might be a little tough. So find ways to do this. Phrases such as, I am allowed to not be perfect. That was huge for me. I was living in this world that I had to be perfect all the time. But you know what? You're allowed to not be perfect. Another phrase that really hit me, I am allowed to walk this earth peacefully. I don't have to live like this. Whether you leave or stay in the marriage, I don't care. You're still allowed to walk this earth peacefully, but you have to give yourself that permission because they're not going to. I give myself permission to say things that I could have said better. Okay, I had to take that into my podcasting world too. There are things I say here that I could have said better, but you know what? It's okay. Again, I'm allowed to not be perfect, and so are you. Another thing, another phrase to repeat, to redirect your mind is, his or her moods are not my responsibility. They're not my fault. His or her reactions say more about them than they do about me. Remember that. Okay, it works the same with you. Your reactions to them say more about who you are. Well, guess what? Their reactions to you say more about who they are. Quit owning them. And the last phrase I've got here, and I know there are many more, and I would love to hear from you. Share them, okay? Put them on TikTok. Put them on the comments. Send me an email. Put it in Facebook. I don't care. Let me hear your phrases that you're sticking on sticky notes in your home. 
But the last one I'm going to share here is, it is not my job to figure everything out. I wish you so much peace on this journey of healing. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.